Your service matters. Whether you're in the military or you're a journalist or you're a teacher or a fireman, first responder, it matters when you serve. It's about a purpose-driven life. If people wanted to ask me how my, my child wants to be a catcher, what do I tell them? I say, catch every ball. And in life, isn't that the way it is? We all show some form of valor. Common people doing uncommon things. Loyalty, duty, honor, respect, selfless service, integrity, personal courage. They laid down everything to go to war for us so we can be free to sit here and talk this podcast. Why? Why did you do it? What impelled you to put aside the instinct for self-preservation and risk your lives? It was faith and belief. It was loyalty and love, clear convictions and beliefs. It's important in a democracy for us to know that freedom isn't free. The Bob Feller Act of Valor Foundation is exactly the right name for that foundation to inform the American public about the ideals and the virtues and the heroism of people like Bob Feller. Bob Feller, he said, my one piece of advice is read our Constitution and run your lives according to the Constitution. We swear an oath to a document that stands for freedom, makes this experiment that we call the United States of America. We are not perfect, but we hold the moral high ground. We are trying to, in the words of our founding document, in order to form a more perfect union. There are going to be some tough calls to make the world safer, better, to represent those values. We can continue to make this world a much, much better place. Today we are honored to have Justine Siegel on the American Valor podcast to talk to us about getting girls more opportunities to play Little League Baseball and advance and play high school baseball and hopefully on the college and pros. Um, she is the founder of Baseball for All, and she's the first woman to join the coaching staff of a professional team, throw batting practice to a professional team, and coach on field with an MLB team. Justine, thank you for joining us today. Happy to be with you. If you wouldn't mind, could you tell us a little bit about your background and experience growing up in baseball? Yeah, I started playing baseball when I was uh, 13. I'm sorry, I started playing baseball when I was in T-ball. Uh, <laughs> but I was, uh, it was 13 when I was first told I should play, I should quit baseball because I'm a girl and I should go play softball. Uh, and so that's when the journey began, to be honest. As a kid, I just had a really good time playing baseball. And uh, at 13, that's when it became a thing that I was a girl and, and I shouldn't be on the field, according to some. Uh, but I kept playing and I played at my high school and college fall ball and, you know, different men's leagues and so on. So uh, I, I couldn't quite quit the game. I love it too much. Is there a certain moment when you look back at your time or your experience with baseball where you're like, where you can remember really falling in love with the game. Like I know for me, it was my first game at Fenway Park, just the atmosphere of being at the game and seeing the Fenway Franks. I just loved every bit of it. Uh, when we were little, so maybe like first grade, my dad took us to an Angels-Indians game. And I'm from Cleveland, but we were in L.A. And I just saw how excited he was uh, that Cleveland won. And I felt like if my dad was that excited, then then I should probably be excited about baseball and um from there, you know, I got to play and then I grew up, we moved to Cleveland and I grew up getting to go to baseball games with my grandfather and, and just having the best time, him, my brother, 
you know, just eating everything we could, walking away with a bobblehead for my collection and um, just great times. So baseball's a bit a part of my family. So I'm not just playing it, but just, you know, the game, like, you know, what's the score, you know, you always know what's going on in the summer. And then fast forward, um, you were able to actually throw batting practice to the Indians, uh, your hometown team, and you got a locker. Can you describe what that experience was like for you? Yeah, for sure. So I, um, I was coaching as an assistant coach um, at Springfield College, um, and I had the opportunity to uh, – and I'm just backing up a little bit just so you can see how I got there – is um, I had an opportunity to interview with Mike Beck, who is a, a famous promoter, and um, his, his father is Bob Beck with the White Sox. And Mike Beck helped me get a job coaching professionally in the Can-Am League. So that's when I became the first one to coach pro baseball. Uh, and that was 2009. And I continued to um, continue to coach at the college level for three years. But then I had the opportunity. I decided, hey, if I want to throw batting practice, I better start going on that dream. Because I thought about doing it in high school. And then I had been 37. And I'm like, you know, I better, I'm, <laughs> I'm only getting older. So um, I had the opportunity at the winter meetings to meet up with Joe Madden and ask him if I could throw to the race. And he said, maybe. And the next thing was throwing, uh, I met Billy Bean and, and my friend said, Hey, she's going to throw to the race. Can she throw to, to the A's? <laughs> Which wasn't entirely true quite yet, but uh, Billy Bean said yes in five seconds that I could throw to the A's. And um, from there, I then went back to uh, Cleveland and said, Hey, this is going to happen. And I'd love to make history with you. You're my team. So that's that's what we did. And um, I first threw to the minor leaguers because they wanted to see me actually throw first. <laughs> and they said, you know, I did well. And they told me I would throw next to the major leaguers that afternoon after a short break. Um, and, you know, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. I definitely walked into the stadium and they put me in the umpire's locker room. Uh, with my daughter Jasmine, who was 13 at the time, and there was my jersey hanging up, and my number's 15 after the day my daughter was born. And just, you know, like, I didn't get to play for Cleveland, but I still got the uniform. <laughs> so got to do this amazing thing and throw BP. Um, and so that jersey's now in the, um, American, the National American Jewish History Museum, which is pretty exciting. And... Um, I just love it. I'm so I'm so grateful for that moment. You also have a, a spot at Cooperstown, right? Yeah. Um, after I threw BB to the Indians, four years later, uh, Billy Bean let me come in and, and coach with the Ace Ring Instructional League. And so that jersey, it's in Cooperstown as the first woman to coach um, for a Major League Baseball organization. So going back to – Earlier in your coaching career, um, in 2002, you formed the Sparks, which was the first all-girls team to compete in a national boys tournament. Can you tell us a little bit how you put that team together and what that experience was like for you? Yeah, sure. And it's it's documented under uh, Max Tash's, um, did a documentary, the WBL Sparks, that you can find on Amazon. Um, well, what I was thinking is, really, what would I have liked when I was a kid? And that was... Uh, to meet other girls who played baseball and to not feel so alone. So I got the idea that I would find girls who played with the boys uh, like I had. And then where is the best place to go? 
And so I thought Cooperstown. And so Cooperstown Dreams Park had a huge waiting list, but they immediately bumped us up. And we got to go that summer as a 12U team. And we were the first girls team to compete in the National Boys Tournament. Um, that's not why we did it. It just happened to be. And we played, um, I guess, eight games, eight games against the other 12U boys teams. And it was, um, we we didn't win. Uh, it was um, it was very difficult because uh, we were doing something that never had been done before. And not, you. I had to recruit girls. I had to find them. And then I had to convince a parent that this was a legitimate thing, you know, and it's, it's something that they had never even thought about before. So I was opening up their minds, you know, and so once I had my team, then you're, of course, you're at the tournament and you're at the talk to the town. And we went back to Dreams Park um, 13 years. And uh, I can say the first year we didn't win any games, but at our last year, uh, and again, it's a new crop of girls every year, but our last year we finished um, 21 out of 104 teams with uh, one day of practice. So um, that, that was pretty exciting and a good way to, to end it. I think most notably when people think of women in baseball, you know, one of the names that took over uh, at least the little league front was Monet Davis. Um, she became not only the first uh, woman to throw a shutout in the little league world series, but just to even win a game as a pitcher. Um, she was later on the cover of sports illustrated. I think she has a, a book out now too. Um, what kind of an impact is having an example like her to show younger girls that you can play against boys and you can succeed on, you know, one of the highest levels. What does that do for, for your mission and also for those other girls? Yeah, it's huge. Um, you know, Monet just did an incredible job of, of competing and keeping her composure while the world was watching her and recording her. Um, it was really quite tremendous. Um, so to have other people start saying, um, look at this girl, she can play. And then the next question is, well, what about all the other girls? You know, aren't there more girls who are who want to play baseball? And that's the thing that Monet eventually led the media to is where are the other girls? And um, I think um, Commissioner Manfred, you know, really saw that there's a girl playing and then you can look around and see what Baseball for All was doing. And we held our first National Girls Baseball Tournament. We were helping community start girls baseball teams. And I think that combination really helped propel forward uh, MLB's desire uh, to start a girl, to start um, girls baseball programming, but also just to recognize that girls play baseball. So, um, you know, I have a lot of respect for Monet and the impact she's had on our game. And one of the latest things uh, in the MLB pertaining to, to women in sports, and you actually predicted this um, in 2013 in an interview you did, that there would be a, a female GM um, for the major, a major league baseball team. Um, and Kim Ang is now the general manager for the Miami Marlins. What do you, do you th- how much of an impact do you think she's going to have on opening up opportunities, not only for other girls and women to play baseball, but also to become a part of an organization in the front office? Well, I think it's huge. You know, um, kudos to Kim for never giving up. It was a long time between her uh, stint with the Dodgers as an assistant GM uh, to when she became a GM and all that time she was working in baseball at the headquarters in New York. Uh, it's it, There's a couple things. One is, is it, it shows girls that they can work hard, dream, and this is a possible pathway for them, you know, that someone will say yes uh, to a woman being the general manager. Two, you know, Kim's going to do well, and it's going to be like, 
look, the skies didn't fall just because we had a woman as, as the head person. You know, it, it just kind of proves that like the worst fear that everything will fall apart is it, obviously not going to happen. So, um, you know, kind of for the naysayers, the ones who were who kind of live in fear about women coming into baseball, they're going to have less to fear when they see the success that comes. You know, and ultimately what you want is the best minds in baseball, you know, to help win games. And uh, obviously uh, that that mind can be a male or a female. You just need to know the game. So what kind of programs does Baseball for All have going on now? Um, ways our listeners may be able to support and get involved? Um, and just in general, other things you have going on? Sure. Uh, Baseball for All is a national nonprofit that I founded um, to stop that narrative, change the narrative that girls don't play baseball. Uh, we empower girls to play and coach and lead. And uh, we help community start girls baseball programs. And then we run events for those girls teams to come together. So most of our girls play with the boys and they might be the only one on their team or even in their league. But when they join one of our programs, they get to see girls, you know, of all ages who are still playing baseball. And we're just seeing um, a rise in girls staying in the game when they get to be a part of a community and they don't feel alone. So very excited about that. We just launched our college program, uh, which we're looking for women who are high school seniors or college players uh, who are interested in in being a part of the foundation of baseball for women in college. Uh, We have a national tournament at Ripken in Aberdeen at the Ripken Complex for girls 8 to 19. So that's pretty exciting. We'll see about 450 girls come from all over the country. We already have players from Alaska, Hawaii, um, coming from everywhere, it seems, uh, to play baseball against other girls. Um, and there is a national women's baseball team under USA Baseball. And we're excited that the last team in 2019, nine out of their 20 players came out of our program, have played for our program. And we're sure those numbers are going to rise as, as our reach increases. How has Baseball for All's program has been affected by COVID? And do you have a plan moving forward for the 2021 year? Yeah, so obviously we haven't been on the field and we had to, we had to uh, cancel all of our tournaments. Uh, we created two virtual events. One was called Read On, Lead On, in which the girls signed up and read a book about a girl in the 1950s who was told she couldn't play baseball. And then we mentored them through uh, the readings. They got to meet the author and then uh, have a phone call with someone who actually works in baseball. And we're, we're talking catching coordinators, <laughs> uh, pitching coaches, to marketing and, you know, legal counsel. So they really got to see where they might be able to go in, in baseball. Uh, we also did a leadership virtual series in which we interviewed 10 people in major league baseball and, um, basically having a webinar serials, whether that was Alyssa from the Giants or Balkovic from the Yankees, these girls were getting to listen to these kinds of voices um, during the off season since we weren't on, we weren't on the field. And so that's very empowering for the girls to know that, you know, all these things are possible for them. What do you think is one of the, the biggest roadblocks that your foundation might have to overcome to really inspire girls to continue pursuing their dreams in baseball and not, giving in to, to people listening, naysayers saying to go play softball instead? I think the culture is changing and it is getting easier, but uh, our, our job isn't done yet. You know, I'd like you to, if you have a daughter one day, to be able to sign her up for baseball 
and for her to have the same experience that your son might have, you know, and it's just kind of like no big deal. She just plays baseball. Just like when I was a kid, I had to play soccer with the boys. And now that there's both girls and boys soccer, while, yeah, there's some co-ed soccer, which is great. um, Now every girl, you know, kind of has played the game at one point just to, um, so I think that, I think that while we support co-ed baseball and we love it when boys and girls play together, the idea is that when you have girls and boys, then you'll have more girls join the game and then you'll be able to put it into the school system so that, you know, you can just play, you know, in high school or in college and, and keep playing. We just, we just love the game and want everyone to get a chance to play. Do you think that because softball is so closely related to baseball that that helps contribute to the stigma that there is kind of, instead of a boys baseball team and a girls baseball team or a a boys soccer team and a girls soccer team, there's really two different sports that they play respectively. I think that that's just the way our sports system is set up. So, you know, I think, and it's, and it's mostly to help more girls participate. Uh, It it's, I think you have to also realize that like the NCAA has already said softball and baseball are two different sports. So legitimately we could have fall baseball for girls and spring softball for girls. And you could play two different sports and you could actually, you know, do that at the college level as well. Um, So it's not so much that we want to separate. It's just that the system is set up that uh, the girls will get more opportunities if we divide and have uh, girls baseball. I mean, there's plenty of parents who don't want their little girls playing with little boys on the baseball field. You know, there's a lot of stereotypes that we have to break uh, with parents as well. So I want to go back actually to uh, your coaching career for, for a second. Um, can you tell us what it was like um, to help coach team Israel at the world baseball classic qualifier? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I well, came in officially as the mental performance coach for the world baseball classic qualifier. Um, and they wanted me to do more than that because they knew I had all this coaching experience. So I was in uniform and my job was to chart the opposing pitcher before the game, or I mean, during the game, before the game, it was everything from uh, throwing BP or hitting fungos or catching for the person hitting fungos. I mean, at one point I was at first base, just taking balls over from third uh, so they can get the throws in, you know, anything else you know, needed. So, It was obviously incredible to have um, Team Israel, you know, like Israel across my chest and represent a country. Um, I was bought misfit in Israel. My daughter was bought misfit in Israel. And and then again, just a coach, you know, former major leaguers was also pretty great. And I'm really proud of the team for going on and finishing in the second round um, of of the Classic, which is a really big deal. How does that, how do you, how do you even get, you know, invited to something like that? Or how did that process work for you? It's actually, uh, was pretty simple as much as I've had to fight for everything in my life. This one was pretty simple. And that was a uh, manager, Jerry Weinstein, just calling me up and asking me if I was interested. And he asked me about being the mental skills coach. Cause I do have a PhD in sports psychology. Uh, and then he said, oh, but we're also very interested in having you coach. So let's, let's bring you in this way and then see where we can go you know, once, once we're together and that's how it happened. And it was amazing. And can you talk a little bit about why you pursued uh, that PhD? I saw a couple of different articles where you mentioned it. And I thought it's a really good 
uh, and powerful story and kind of your mindset in this whole endeavor with starting baseball for all and your overall mission of getting more girls in baseball? Well, I was 15 or 16 when I decided I wanted to be a college baseball coach. And I told my coach um, about my dream and he laughed at me and he said, no man will listen to a woman on a baseball field. And as, as embarrassed as I was, uh, I just started thinking like, who's he to decide what I can do. And so I started thinking about, well, how can I make myself qualified? And, you know, I was just a teenager. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to get to play D1 baseball. Um, I didn't, I wasn't good enough for that, nor had a woman ever done that, but I certainly wasn't good enough for D1. Uh, And so I thought, well, I'll get a PhD and I'll use education as a way to um, use that tool. To me, education is a tool for my toolbox something that I have that others usually don't because obviously you don't need a PhD to coach uh, college baseball um, or pro baseball. So that's, that's what I did. And and while I was getting my PhD at Springfield college, that's when I spent three years with the baseball team uh, coaching and uh, from there, you know, coaching with the rocks. And then I, you know, I kept coaching and I threw VP and then, you know, with the A's and so on. So it's kind of like uh, my PhD helped lead me on the path and gave me the opportunities just as I thought it might. So it, it was a good decision. It was a very hard decision, but it was a good one. Well, awesome. We're, we're really glad that you joined us. And you mentioned, you know, no woman had ever played D1 at that point. Um, so it's good to see someone like Sarah Fuller, who's the, the first female to score a point in Power 5 college football. So hopefully, maybe soon we'll see a, a big name a female name in the college baseball world coming soon, um, hopefully coming from your programs. But we wanted to thank you, and we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thank you for having me. We appreciate it, and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by the Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation. Please leave your comments in the comment section below and connect with the Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Active Valor Award. You can engage with the foundation at activehourreward.org. There, you can learn more about Bob Feller, Jerry Coleman, recent nominees of the awards, view pictures, and sign up for updates, including the American Valor podcast, and more. For Nathaniel Cameron, I'm Galen O'Dell. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.